This is an ABC podcast. So, Norman, we've been doing a thing in the last couple of weeks where we acknowledge the traditional owners of the various lands that we're on, which is a lovely way to pay respect to where we are. And it's an easy one today because we're both on Gadigal land. We are of the Eora Nation. Pay respects to elders past, present and future and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening to us today. And it's always a bit nice to be in the same studio as you. It's also a bit awkward because I'm used to looking at my script and you have this unsettling thing of making very intense eye contact with me while you're talking. Boring into your skull. <laughs> but I'm moving between the screen and you, so I'll, 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 I'll not force it too much. Well, let's do CoronaCast. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 21st of September 2022. Norman, over the last two years, one of the various ways that we've kept a tab on what's happening with the coronavirus is by looking at various places that have aggregated the data that tell tell us what the case numbers are doing, what the deaths are doing. And sometimes we've been getting that from official government sources, but often the, the best way of us sort of getting a sense of a picture at the nation level is by various amateur data journalists who have been collating this data together. And they're saying it's actually suddenly getting a whole lot harder for them to do that important work. Yeah, it, it has been very hard and been very reliable. And in fact, I know of one jurisdiction in Australia where they were using the ABC's data dashboard rather than the federal one because they felt that what the ABC was publishing was actually more reliable. And there have been uh, a couple of others. D.B. Raven is one and uh, Juliette O'Brien is another. And th- they've been really very reliable in terms of watching how things are developing at a very granular scale, putting a lot of effort into it. And they're not so amateur. They, they know what they're, they're doing and what they're talking about. And why it's become a whole lot harder is fragmentation. Pre-COVID, we had a lot of fragmentation in Australian data. For all sorts of diseases. For all sorts of diseases, of all sorts of things. It was starting to come together in what was called data linkage, where you you were able to link data with each other and understand what was going on. New South Wales and Western Australia tended to lead the way here, but at a national level, it was starting to happen. There was a security layer. With COVID, the big hope was that what they'd learned from COVID could be applied elsewhere and that we, would, after COVID, we would see ourselves maintaining an integrated data source. Because although it was problematic at a federal level, it was much better than it had been before. The sad thing is we seem to have reverted to type. And the thing that has prompted this, of course, is National Cabinet last week said they're going to move to weekly reporting, which, I mean, we can have a conversation about that separately, but it's not so much about the frequency as it is about the format. Yeah, people, you know, jurisdictions, states are reporting on different things on different days of the week with different criteria. Some states are reporting on aspects, I won't go into the fine detail, but some, you know, New South Wales and Victoria are reporting on things that Queensland's not, for example. What sort of things? So Queensland's not been that good at reporting fatality numbers, for example. Queensland's decided not to include, reportedly, not include any testing data and also data by postcode, for example. So, from, for example, in Queensland, from Queensland, we're missing out an important state in terms of some really granular data that we need to have. And then different states are reporting different things at different times of the week. So if you're wanting to aggregate, you're having to pick up things all over the place rather than nationally agreeing this is what we're going to do. It's incredibly disappointing at a a national level that we've reverted back to this 
fragmented federation. So you were talking before about pre-pandemic, the way those data weren't always reported in a consistent way. And it's for individuals, it's for punters to be able to look and see what's happening with a certain disease. But it's also really important for researchers to have access to these national figures, because that's how you then can interpret that for, for public health interventions and reasons. Well, that's right. Uh, the next variant, if we get one, might start in Queensland. Yes, I think not. <laughs> and you might not know where, when and how, or its impact on, this, on the system. There's no guarantee that the next one will happen in New South Wales and Victoria or Western Australia. Is this political? Like, is there an... No, it's not. I, I don't think it's political. I think it's just bureaucracies returning to the way they do business. And the way they do business is they're more interested in their own state than they are in national data. You said variants before. Can we talk about that? Because you have said, and it's based on what lots of experts have said to us over the last two and a half years, is they sort of every six months seems to throw up a new variant. It's been about six months, Norman. So when will we know if another variant's emerged? What sort of surveillance is being done, not just in Australia, but globally at the moment to to sort of be an early warning sign for this? What you need is an international, a global surveillance system, which is picking things up. I mean, we knew about Omicron because South Africa was being very diligent about its testing and very open about the fact that they picked up a new variant. Experts have been arguing for a long time now in this pandemic that we need to get organised globally to pick up variants as early as possible. And that is going to get harder as more uh, rapid antigen tests are being done and fewer PCR tests have been done because you can only pick up a, a new variant from a PCR test or a, a viral culture. And that's not being done in a coordinated fashion globally. So we will be late to the party understanding new variants that arise, not just in Australia, but globally. What could that look like? Would you sort of have health jurisdictions just sampling people at random? Like if you're only we do waiting it with for influenza. people, but you're still waiting for someone to get sick, badly sick, sick enough to go to the doctor. Well, that's probably still what would happen is that you would have sentinel reporting systems based on general practice and swabbing and general practice. But if what's happening is rapid antigen testing, we won't know. So what you might get is rapid antigen testing, which, by the way, there's some evidence um, from overseas is that the accuracy of rapid antigen tests has declined during Omicron, so not necessarily picking up quite as accurately as previously, even though there were some problems, there were some problems even with accuracy then. Yeah, but you could have a referral from, for a, a positive rapid antigen test for a PCR. It's not well organised. Sitting behind this, though, is, you know, we're, we're coming down to weekly reporting. We're in a bit of a lull at the moment, not just here in Australia, but globally, maybe, depending on how you look at the, the uh, data. And we had the head of the World Health Organisation last week, sort of, well, the headlines at least, were saying, were saying that he was saying that the end of the pandemic was in sight, which really brought me back to one of one of the first stories I did once the pandemic really kicked off. And one of the questions that we got a lot was, when will it be over? And I struggled to find any definition of what over meant. Being over means that we're not seeing new variants terribly frequently. It's a seasonal virus. It's not entirely clear. So the first thing you tend to see when a pandemic goes is seasonality. Spring, summer, autumn, winter, but viruses behave in different ways. So you see that it largely disappears during some times of the year, comes back in others. We're not seeing that yet. The other measure, which is loose and it's hard to define, is that we're still seeing when a new variant comes along, 
that's a variant of concern, it sweeps through the population and infects almost everybody in time. Now, in a non-pandemic environment, you don't tend to see that. So, for example, influenza, there's people in the community who've had live influenza or well-vaccinated and they've got some coverage and that tends to help them next time around and they often don't get it or they don't report it and it's blunted. We're not seeing that blunting yet. Yes, it, the virus might be milder with the new variant, but we're still see, seeing it sweeping through. And if it was more virulent and more vaccine evasive, a lot more people could die. So we've still got that uncertainty. And that uncertainty is really part of what a pandemic is all about. So then what do we make of the comments from Dr Tedros from the WHO then, when he's sort of saying that the end could be in sight? It's been misreported. If you actually look at what else he said was, you've got to keep going with this because you don't get to the end. I think he used the marathon as the example, that you're, you might see the finish line at the marathon, but that's not when you stop running. You actually run even faster to get to the finish line. And he talked about a few things that countries need to do. One is vaccination. The other is testing, which is what we were talking about earlier. So with vaccination, we're not doing well in Australia. 30% haven't even had the third dose last time I looked, much less the, four, the fourth dose. Testing, we're not doing well with that either. We don't have an organised testing programme to actually survey for this. Um, there are a few things that we're not doing, much less a country with fewer resources than us. He's obviously talking to a global audience, uh, but even, yeah, like you say, in Australia, some of the other things he mentioned were planning for surges in terms of uh, clinical care and rebuilding trust in public health authorities, which it has become so politicised. It has. I mean, we've got good trust, I think, in our public health authorities. I mean, I think it was shaken at various times during the pandemic. But in other countries, there's even less. And I think he's probably referring to the United States, where there's a significant proportion of the US population who don't trust public health authorities. I think we've got a much higher level of trust in Australia, despite all the criticism from time to time. So what do you think we should be prioritising in Australia in the next six months? We should be getting our data together, our data act together and integrating data and have one source of truth and it being standardised and everybody agreeing on it. Why can't we do that? It makes me so angry because I've been reporting on this for years. We could be in such a better position and yet we've reverted to type. Vaccination, we've got to keep vaccination up and somehow we've got to organise a rational national testing programme. So if a new variant appears in Cairns we know about it and we know about it soon or in the Kimberley or in the middle of Melbourne. And we're more likely to find out about it in the middle of Melbourne and the middle of Sydney at the moment than we are in those other states. We've shown that we can do it before, I suppose, and it's a, it's a question of, of showing that we can do it ongoing. That's right. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's CoronaCast. If you've got a question, you can go to abc.net.au slash coronacast to submit it to us. And we'll see you next time. See you then. 